Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. I'm your host, Nick Berlansky, joined as always by Nick Horwat and the Penguins. I mean, they're on a winning streak right now, two games, but they're more importantly just on a roll altogether at a very important part of the season. The March of the Penguins is on. And this team is starting to march right towards the Stanley Cup playoffs. And we'll get to everything encompassing this team after a 2-0-0 weekend with victories over the Philadelphia Flyers and the New York Rangers uh, at PPG Paints Arena for both of those games. But I want to start here with you, Horwat. Jason Zucker, uh, when you talk about the Penguins, Jason Zucker is the storyline, is he not? Uh, He is the main character. He's bringing that main character energy. It's incredible it's when he's not scoring you could tell there's just a, a fierceness and just an energy with his play when he is scoring he's the most excited man on the ice at all times when his line is scoring it's you can see it it's so just positive energy positive vibes all around with his play and even whenever he is getting involved in the scrums that he says he doesn't see he's just sticking up for other teammates doesn't care what exactly is going on he knows there's an issue happening he's taking uh, uh acceptance of it and getting involved this is the perfect player for this team right now someone to do something imagine if everyone had this kind of energy and this fire i don't think it's it's humanly possible to find 20 guys that have the same fire as as jason zucker and the ability to get them all under contract on the same team and get them on the same ice uh, hard to believe that that is even possible, but Jason Zucker has been vastly impressive, especially uh, as of late. Since February 26th, he has nine goals in eight games played. His nine goals lead the entire NHL in that span, and he's had multiple shots on goal in seven of those eight games, including an eight-shot performance against the New York Rangers. So when when you're hot, you're hot, and when you're hot, you have to continue to try to feed the hot hand, and that's what the Penguins have been doing. And Jason Zucker, we saw it on Sunday. Sometimes it doesn't even have to be the perfect shot. Sometimes you just throw it at the net, and when you're hot, it just goes into the net. It takes a nice bounce off of a defenseman, and it just finds the back of the net. He is at that level right now where there's not much that he's doing that is wrong for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yeah, no, there's not at all. It's... I mean, so he's not picking up assists. Who cares? Like, right? It's that's one thing I did notice about uh, his uh, game notes from the past few games is that he hasn't gotten assists since oh, it's been a while. But yeah, you can easily overlook that whenever you realize he scored eleven goals in that time. Yeah, he hasn't gotten assists since February seventh. It's well over a month. Uh, which kind it does kind of make you wonder who like who's doing what on the line, right? Like, uh, is he not feeding Malkin? I have to look at Malkin's numbers, but, I mean, in in those 17 games, he has 11 goals. I don't think you can be mad at that. That's Mm-mm. incredible pacing that uh, you don't you don't realize. It. And he's helping the team win, and it's that's what's important. It is mm-hmm. doing what you can to help the team win by scoring one to two goals a night and driving the energy of your line and driving the analytics numbers sky high. I haven't looked at those in a long time, but I'm sure those are phenomenal because it's Jason Zucker doing what he's doing, playing with the energy, scoring the goals, playing with Evgeny Malkin, who's had hella, who's had pretty good numbers this year. 
And regardless if it's, you know, screw it, Rust, Raquel, or now Nylander, there's always the good third party on this line. Mm-hmm. We talk about creating offense yeah. all the time, but there's many different ways to do that. Uh, there is the traditional way of Sidney Crosby, Jake Gensel. They take the puck, they facilitate, they make beautiful passes, they find guys, they set guys up. Jason Zucker isn't that type of player. He's not the guy that's going to send that beautiful pass across the crease where you you ask yourself, how did he even get the puck there? He's not that type of player. But what he does in creating offense with his forecheck, right? He goes in there, he's nagging, he's a pest, he gets to the defenseman, he puts the pressure on, and he creates turnovers. Or he cycles the puck well down low. Or he makes sure that that puck stays in the zone creating offense for the other players on that line. He doesn't always necessarily touch the puck, but he goes in there, he lays the body, and it forces a turnover that could lead to offense, and it has led to offense for all of these different opportunities that this line has created over the past two or three weeks. The other thing that he is is a trigger man right now, right? Evgeny Malkin can be both. Right now, Evgeny Malkin is playing the role of a facilitator because that is what's working. Jason Zucker is the hot hand, so Malkin has defaulted to being a facilitator. But you'll see times when Evgeny Malkin wants to be the trigger man too, and he can be. The only thing is, that was usually coming from Brian Rust, who was facilitating Malkin. So that might be why you look at Raquel as somebody that could be a facilitator as well on that line. You look at Nylander, who's somebody that has been shooting the puck in his three games since he came up to the Pittsburgh Penguins, but a lot of his offense and a lot of the opportunities he's created... And, and the things that have impressed me the most is his ability to facilitate and open up opportunities for Jason Zucker, for Evgeny Malkin, and, and whoever he's playing on a line with because he's been around the lineup a little bit. I really think that Zucker, d- despite not scoring any assists, the fact that he's scoring goals just tells you that he has the hot hand and that Evgeny Malkin knows that and their chemistry is working very, very well, which is why you see Zucker leading the NHL in goals yeah. since February 26th. Yeah, it's it's the trigger man. He's the one that's just beating the goalies. It's just the way the cards are falling. It's it's pretty impressive, and it's especially coming off of. I mean, we discussed ad nauseum over the last two years into these microphones of what uh, what kind of player could the Penguins get in return for Jason Zucker. We didn't foresee him sticking around through this season, uh, and. Through no fault of his own, really. It's not that he wasn't giving great effort. He was injured for exactly half the season last year. And mm-hmm. um, it was a shortened 2020-2021, but there was injuries in there. And you could tell it was he was hampered by something. I mean, he had 35 points combined over the last two seasons. Mm-hmm. Straight up not good enough, regardless of injuries, right? Especially for this player that he is. I mean, in that shortened 21 year... 38 games, 9 goals, 9 assists. I mean, that's... In that kind of season, maybe third-line numbers pushing forth just because it was an interesting, weird... uh, You're playing the same four teams (laughs) over and over again. Uh, But the following year, last year, 21-22, 41 games again, hurt for exactly half the season at different points. Uh, 8 goals, 9 assists, 17 points. Just... He even, even he said wasn't good enough going into that year. He wasn't good enough. He was trying to, I forget what the exact line was. 
shoot the puck. Yeah, just shoot the puck. That I, was the big thing. Yeah, and you could tell he shot the puck. He had 102 shots, 7% shooting percentage. <laughs> yeah. Not ideal. And he's more than doubled that. He's at 15 now, 15.4. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 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 pretty much all the efforts he was giving last year are finally paying off. But like I said, we were discussing last season going into this year of, man, I mean, what could we get in return over the offseason? What can he bring to this team this year? We were down and out, it seemed, because he's an aging player who's always hurt. And by aging, I do mean on the wrong side of 30. Like, everybody on this team is, which, mm-hmm. ugh, not ideal. But... He's an aging player, always getting hurt, and he got hurt for a short bit this season, but not long, and we it's paying off. I don't know how else to put it other than when it comes to a new deal for this man, I have hesitations, but they're not huge, and I'm sure we'll discuss them. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I've noticed that he's really added to his repertoire, or at the very least he's utilized in his repertoire more this season than he has since he joined the Penguins, is that one-time slap shot. I mean, you saw it against Buffalo, obviously. He was off the rush. It was a little bit of a slap shot. And, of course, Yarmir Yager had the comments about his muffin of, of a shot there. But you saw it a couple weeks ago, too, in overtime against the Tampa Bay Lightning. He utilized that to get the game winner. So it's him adding on to his already impressive scoring abilities and refinding what he had in Minnesota. He has 24 goals on the season now, already the second best goal scoring season of Jason Zucker's career. His career high, of course, was 33 in 2017-18. That might be a little far to go to, uh, but at this current pace, he might get it. Um, I doubt he will, but honestly, still the second highest goal scoring season of his career in a in a contract season no less a uh, great performance from Jason Zucker especially right now like we said he, he's like Midas everything he touches is turning to gold and it's really working out for the Pittsburgh Penguins now I don't want to get into a full segment of this because we're going to do our three M's at some point here in the next couple of weeks but Jason Zucker is he a must sign at this moment in time like I, I know that we go into that and say hey listen considering what the player is must sign maybe sign or move on I feel like there's no doubt that Jason Zucker might be the only or one of only a couple must signs for this Pittsburgh Penguins team. You know what? Yeah. And I think that's kind of what makes uh, him much easier to sign at least um, is that he's one of the only ones where you're saying to yourself, okay, for sure he can bring this same firepower again next year. My, like I said, I have hesitations and they all surround around, his injury history, like I said, I know he's, he's been healthy this year, but that doesn't mean he's going to be healthy next season. We see the game he plays. That's one of the points I wanted to bring up before is that he's leading the team in hits, guys. He's Yeah, he's not. it's not that he's slowed down at all this year. Yeah, he's leading the team in hits. He couldn't sit on the regular bench last year, need we forget. Uh, he has a tendency to hurt himself doing these things. He's just gotten lucky to not do it this year, knock on wood, that he completes the season perfectly okay. Um, he's making 5.5 right now. Uh, I mean, any smart agent will go, you deserve a raise. Look at the season you're having. Mm-hmm. Um, I get it is the Penguins way to kind of take a smaller deal. And that's something that Ron Hex don't have to work out with him. Because like I said, he's going to be 32 soonish. Um, he's got the hard miles put on him. He's got the injury history, but at the same time, look at the school, school this goal scoring pace. 
And also, you have Granlin locked up for $5 million. You have Brian Rust for 5125 Now, all of a sudden, you're looking at the other contracts on the ledger and going, well, you can't give him less than these guys. Mm, Ron Hextall is can. in a tough spot here. And, you know, it's all his doing. Well, yes. That's another discussion for another day, though. I mean, this, this team is winning, but I feel like it is, at this point, in spite of Ron Hextall, way to go, buddy. Again, I digress. It's hard to really make a decision here. I would say you do, but you got to be smart about the deal. You have to be smart about the contract. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you saying that, I mean, your, your, your comment that, you know, you can't pay him less than these guys. Well, I mean, look at what they did with uh, Chris Letang. They paid him less and acquired Jeff Petrie for more. So <laughs> you can do what you want. Um, but at the same time, I do agree. Like, you must sign him. Yeah. The top six offensive production he brings and the fact that he's a menace on the four check, it's going to make him expensive. Don't get me wrong. He's probably going to be, if you sign him, the most expensive signing other than maybe starting goaltender that you make all offseason. But they need to, we're seeing it right now, they need to begin to rely on some younger and cheaper forwards for their depth next season. They didn't do it this year and it really bit them in the butt. I mean, we're seeing it now, but we're seeing it because of injuries and because the Penguins had to sell off pieces and, and, and really just, again, hope, I don't want to get into that conversation again, uh, that people were going to, to bail them out. But you look at Nylander, what he's doing, he's an RFA. You, you probably bring him back for fairly cheap because he hasn't had much NHL time, and he has one assist in three games, so it's not like he's lighting it up to the level where he's going to earn a massive payday. Uh, Valtteri Pustinen's an RFA. He's played one game in the NHL. You're going to probably re-sign him for cheap. He needs to be in the lineup next season, and then you look at the defense. You need to rework it. You need to spend less money on the defense if it's going to play at this level. Doomlin comes off the cap. That should go straight to, to, to Jason Zucker, maybe. Like, some of that money should go straight to Jason Zucker, and I think you also have to move on from Jan Ruda in the summer. Again, a discussion for a different day. But there are ways to bring Jason Zucker back, and I understand that you don't want to pay so much money for all these players, and Mikhail Granlin is $5 million, but at the same time, if you're going to utilize Mikhail Granlin as your third-line center and you're going to give him actual weapons, that's fine. You just can't continue to spend money on bottom six talent, and I feel like that's what's going to end up happening if they don't bring Jason Zucker back, is they're just going to overspend on bottom six guys that don't necessarily do what Jason Zucker would be able to do if they brought him back in the second line role. It's also really just laughable how many uh, of these contracts are in the middle of having clauses. We have 12 players on this lineup that have some sort of modified no trade or... No move clause. Not that that makes things easier or harder. I mean, some of them are to guys that you don't want to move anyway, but it's just hilarious looking at our cap friendly. Yeah, Brian Dumoulin coming off helps a lot. You probably look to see if you can find a way to move on from Jan Ruda. You're locked up with Pedersen soon, by the way. His clause kicks in next year. Yeah, but that's uh, the fine. other thing, that's too. Perfectly okay. Yeah, the other thing, too, is I don't know how. I mean, it, it is like the immovable steel trap Venus flytrap contract. You got to figure out some way to do something with Jeff Carter. <laughs> I, like I don't, I, there's, you can't buy him out. You can't like force him to retire. That does nothing for anything. Like the only way you're getting anything really to get that off of your, your, your ledger is Jeff Carter decides to waive it or Jeff Carter Pulls a Pavel Dodsuk, Brent Seabrook, Nicholas Jalmerson. You notice how 
A lot of these guys are from Detroit and Chicago, and they get injured and go on LTIR. Like, that's the only other way that you get his cap hit off the ledger. But again, I digress on that point. Different discussion for a different day. We're going to take a quick break right now. When we come back, there's injuries popping up for this lineup. Again, we'll break down the latest on each injury and also what that means when some of these guys could potentially come back. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. And as I mentioned, heading into the break, there are three injuries now for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Ryan Paling being the one uh, that has happened the longest, and we'll discuss that last. But first and foremost, I want to talk about Dmitry Kulikov being evaluated for a lower body injury after leaving Sunday's game against the New York Rangers a bit early. No update onto the severity or the timetable for this injury. But you would have to imagine if he cannot go later tonight against Montreal, P.O. Joseph steps into the lineup. And then we have to wait and see, obviously, uh, when Kulikov is able to return. Yeah, we're likely to get some sort of update from the morning skate this morning just because that's how this will work. I'm just predicting some sort of lower body injury day to day. We'll see him back soon. It's Mike Sullivan. It's the Mike Sullivan way. Unless it's anything serious, we're not going to get any more real note here uh as for mm-hmm. kulikov especially because he's in a position where i mean he just got here we were giving him the shot to see what we had here uh and then he clunked out some of the worst metrics that um anybody has ever seen this year and that doesn't help so maybe uh, maybe if we, we maybe we even just give him the rest for the day to say all right joseph get get yourself back in there because we have that ability. This is why we have mm-hmm. 20 defensemen on this team. It's <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like, all of a sudden, all right, Hextall, you were right about something. It's that... I wouldn't go that far, but yeah. It's that we need depth defensemen. I mean, sure, I guess. You saw you saw two minor league injuries and went another NHL-ready defenseman. Sounds good to me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but yeah, that, that being said, if anything, Kulikov may be out for today. Joseph goes back in. Oh, but uh, I, I don't see, know. There's nothing much here. He, here's the thing, and, and we won't stick on Kulikov's injury for too long, obviously, because we don't know what it is, and we don't know how long he'll be out. But if Pio Joseph goes in tonight, and it's hard because you're playing a team in Montreal that is is not good, right? Like they're at this point of the season where they're, if they're going to do anything, they're going to look to either play spoiler or get in a better position for the NHL draft lottery. If Joseph goes in, obviously he'd probably be prepared with Jan Ruda. If they go out there and have a fantastic night as far as shot attempts, expected goals, then you have to start to wonder, like, it might not be Dmitry Kulikov himself. He just might not work with Jan Ruda, and there's no one else really that's going to go down and play with him because Petrie and Latang are not going to play w- with Dmitry Kulikov. That's just not going to happen. So if it happens that way, I think you at least have to give even if Kulikov's ready, you would at least have to give, again, P.O. Joseph a game on Thursday against the New York Rangers and say, does it work out this game too? Because we've seen P.O. Joseph and Jan Ruda work well together, right? As soon as Jan Ruda came back, that pairing was extremely positive and extremely 
good for the Pittsburgh Penguins in that third pairing role. So if, if Joseph comes in and it's like he would never left, you have to wonder if Kulikov's ever going to get back in. Now, listen, I'm not going to pretend to be the predominant source on what Dmitry Kulikov is going to do with the Pittsburgh Penguins. I didn't think he'd see the ice. I thought he was brought in as injury insurance and injury insurance only. Then he started the first game whenever he actually got to Pittsburgh. So I don't know what this coaching staff thinks of him versus Joseph, but if you see Joseph go out there and get the best out of Jan Ruda, which Kulikov has clearly not done, then you probably have to think, okay, it might be because Kulikov doesn't have the chemistry with Jan Ruda yet, but at this time of the year, it's not time to build chemistry. It's time to use the things that work, and so far, Joseph and Ruda have shown to work better than Kulikov and Ruda. So if Kulikov is out for an extended period, it's it's a moot point. It's going to be Joseph anyway. But if Kulikov's only out for one game, then you really have to see how Joseph and Ruda are able to do in that absence. Yeah, that's about it. It's There's nothing much to it. It's pretty much what's the length of this injury and can Joseph step up in the proper way? I mean, we've seen it exactly. all, all season. It's perfectly okay to let him take it. It was perfectly okay, I thought, to... See what you had in Kulikov and give Joseph a break for a couple of games. That's fine. Do what you got to do. Once the numbers started tanking a little bit, though, you kind of get a little bit more on edge. And, I mean, tanking numbers or not, Penguins are 7-2-1 in their last 10. Um, that's pretty good, regardless of how your third-pairing def- defense looks, because you're still winning. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I think, overall, this is kind of going to be a nothing conversation in, like, a week, whenever he's healthy and things are figured out, probably. But it's, I don't know, it's, it, I thought the decision-making on it was perfectly okay. It's just a matter of going forward that you got to be smarter. Yeah, at the end of the day, if everyone knows and sees and the numbers back it up that P.O. Joseph is better for the Penguins than Dmitry Kulikov, that better be what they do, right? Because... You, know, you you can say that, hey, Mike Sullivan's the coach. He knows more about it than any of us. Yes, that's true. But, you know, when you see something plain as day and everybody sees it and the team doesn't, it's frustrating. We, we've seen that on a couple of occasions with a couple different players in this lineup this season for the Pittsburgh Penguins. But let's move over and talk about the forwards that are injured. Nick Bonino, this came out of left field week to week with a lacerated kidney just over four weeks left in the season. Horwat, do you think we see Benino back in the Penguins lineup by the end of the regular season? I mean, it'd be very Nick Benino of him to not show back up in the rest for the rest of the season. Uh, nothing against him. It's just the warrior that he is. It's I mean, we won the seven. He had a broken ankle, didn't he? And, and seven, toward the end of 17, we had to win, uh, play without him. It's... Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm, okay. It was a shocking injury, right? Because yeah, that's not one you normally hear, and that's something that legitimately I don't, I don't, I don't think we know it's from him blocking a shot. I there was a there was a point of the game where he blocked a shot and looked a little hobbled. I thought that was I thought they hit him in the leg. I could be wrong. I mean, lacerated kidney. I mean, that could be anything. He could have just like caught a stick wrong, right, in a little scrum. Mm-hmm. That's it. That could have been anything. Um, so who knows? This was just a little shocking, a little out of, oh, hey, this is, we're getting a legitimate diagnosis on this one. This wasn't just upper or lower or concussion. It was this specifically week to week. He had a procedure. He was in the hospital, like, Mm -hmm. got it. Okay. As to if we see him again, I mean, 
I bet we do. Eventually. But again, I'm not a doctor. I don't know how long this thing usually takes. All we got is week to week, guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, n- neither of us are medical yeah. professionals. I have no letters at the end of my name, like D, whatever. I don't MD, whatever, whatever. The <laughs> not even a junior, like it's <laughs> yeah, not yeah, not even junior. But with Nick Benito, like I don't know how long it takes to to recover from that. Obviously, he had he had a procedure. I would imagine that's a surgery. Uh, whether it's they cut him open or they didn't, he, they had a procedure to fix his lacerated kidney. There's going to be a timetable to return from that before he's able to even work out. So we don't really have any clue other than it's 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 week to week. I'm assuming he at least mixes a week and a half, two weeks. And then at that point, you have two weeks left in the season. How long is it going to take him to ramp back up, especially because he is a little bit older? He's going to take a little bit longer to get his legs underneath him, depending on how long he goes without skating. So... With just over four weeks left in the season, I get—I guarantee we're going to see him before the year's over, meaning before the Penguins are either eliminated or when the Stanley Cup or that season ends. But I just have no idea how long he's going to be out. I would imagine if Paling, who we're going to talk about in a second here, comes back that you put Nick Benino on LTIR to be able to continue to actually utilize the players you have on the ice. But let's move over to Ryan Paling because... He is still working his way back from an upper body injury that has kept him out for over a month now. Hasn't played since February 11th, and even before then, he would only played a handful of games since he had come back from it previously. So, a weird injury that continues to be a nagging one for Ryan Paling. We thought he was close to returning, and then he ends up getting put on LTIR because he suffers a setback. What do we think about Ryan Paling, and is he anywhere close to getting back in the Penguins lineup. Obviously, the time has elapsed where he can be activated off of LTIR whenever he is ready to go. It always seems like he's ready to return, right? Every practice, it's, hey, Ryan Paling's out there again. Ryan Paling's out there again. We don't... uh, Are we assuming it's a concussion? Like... I have no idea. We know it's upper body, and we know it's really hampering him, and it keeps rolling back around, and that's kind of what was plaguing uh, Teddy Bluger at the start of the season where it was, hey, here was this invisible injury we didn't really notice, and then uh, he was out for... He was out on a day-to-day basis that turned into LTIR. So, who knows? I mean, as for Ryan Paling, I don't I don't even know if it's the same injury that stopped him uh, for the pair of games a while ago. Whenever he was out for two, came back for... I just pulled up his little sheet was out for two came back for five out for three came back for one and then out again before returning for a handful this has to be new because this is a lot more this is like six games played here seven and then out again that's just very oh that's a rocky road to really look at Um, yeah i don't especially considering we know it is just upper body and nothing else but it's hampering this much we see we're seeing him practice but we're also seeing him put on lcir we're seeing him take line rushes at times, kill some penalties, and it's very, very interesting. And mm-hmm. I would assume as well that if he comes back anytime soon, it's just going to be flipping uh, Benito to LTIR Forum and then utilizing the space. I think oh, it's hard to say. It's really hard to pinpoint anything on this team right now, especially with, the, with these two injuries specifically, because we yeah. don't know what kind of recovery needs to come from a lacerated kidney and then we don't exactly know what's wrong with paling here yeah 
Yeah, it's an interesting touch-and-go subject for the Pittsburgh Penguins. We'll continue to monitor that as the information comes out from head coach Mike Sullivan and the Penguins medical staff. But with Paling and Benino out, the Penguins' fourth line currently is Danton Heinen, Jeff Carter, and Josh Archibald. When these two guys eventually come back, or if they eventually come back, and you have your full complement of forwards, what should the Penguins' fourth line be when fully healthy? Just this, just the fourth line specifically, I would say Benino centering Paling and Heinen. Now here's the thing about my fourth line specifically. Up top on the second, you still have Alex Nylander. On the third, mm-hmm. you still have Mikel Granlund with Drew O'Connor and Ricard Raquel. Yeah, you're benching Jeff Carter. I'm benching Jeff Carter, and Josh Archibald is also the scratch. Um, I don't know if this team can afford that. I just kind of mm-hmm. threw names against a wall and said... Yeah, Yeah. take the salary cap implications out. Best players are best for the Pittsburgh Penguins is what we're looking for. So you're saying what? Paling, Bonino, and Heinen, right? Yeah, and, not, and I guess no particular center between Bonino and Paling. They both can do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, I'm along those same lines. The only thing that we definitely have the same is Jeff Carter. But again... Will this team ever truly healthy scratch Jeff Carter? I don't I don't see that happening, at least not this season, maybe next year. But I have Paling, Benino, and Archibald. Heinen has been better since being infused into the lineup when Kasperi Kapanen was placed on waivers a few weeks ago. But when I look at what Danton Heinen brings to this team, he scored one goal in that time. <laughs> it's true. And he brings no defense. He cannot play the penalty kill. He cannot take faceoffs, and he doesn't play a physical style of game. He doesn't forecheck hard. And listen, I've said it several times in the past couple of weeks. The man is a cockroach. He's just hanging around longer than I ever expect him to. I would not play him over Josh Archibald. Now, Archibald does not kill penalties, but what Archibald does bring is a playoff intensity that the Pittsburgh Penguins need in their bottom six. Paling and Benino, both of those guys can take center reps both of those guys can take faceoffs both of those guys can kill penalties so i think they have a leg up and because of that is why i think the penguins you know there's a little voice in the back of my head that says you know maybe they bench carter because paling bonino can play penalty kill and take those faceoffs also mikhail granlin can play the penalty kill and take faceoffs so you have multiple options for the faceoff dot and you have multiple options for the penalty kill but we all know that that's not going to happen. I would just prefer it to be Paling, Benino, and Archibald if I was constructing it and if, obviously, salary cap would be able to be juggled to work out with that. But I digress again. You know what? This is our playoff roster when the salary yeah. cap doesn't exist. There you go. Uh, per- perfect. We, exactly what we're looking that's for. That's what there. we're doing. But we're, we're utilizing our LTIR space, not for the big guns like Tampa Bay or... Uh, whoever did it last year, I forget now, uh, Colorado. Uh, no, we're using it for Nick Benino and Ryan Paling. Yes, exactly. The Pittsburgh way. The Pittsburgh way. But uh, let's talk about, not the fourth line, but let's talk about the third line now. Because that was an interesting little wrinkle when everybody showed up on St. Patrick's Day celebration day at PPG Paints Arena for the Penguins and the Philadelphia Flyers is the Penguins had a new look third line. Drew O'Connor. Mikhail Granlund and Ricard Raquel placed together in that game and also played together against the Rangers the next day. Penguins go 2-0 in those games. What did you think of that new look third line for the Pittsburgh Penguins? 
there's there's something there. First of all, Drew O'Connor anywhere in this lineup is impressive. That man has the shot first mentality that we've been looking for. That and he's phenomenal on the four check. Yep. And it seems like because he's not playing on the fourth line now, is it me or does he look like he's faster? Or at least he's utilizing his speed a little bit more now than he was before. I think that's it. I think he's utilizing it a little bit more. <clears throat> because he has to to keep up with Mikhail Granlin and, and Raquel. Yeah, it's pretty impressive watching. And like, whenever I say he's got that shot first mentality, I mean, it's almost to a fault. Like, there are a couple of chances where I'm like, hey, that, or I'm watching this. And I just look and I go, that man's wide open and there's just straight into shin, shin guards or pads. And it's fine. Like, it's good. It's good to build confidence and Anything on net is better than a pass that might get intercepted. Mm-hmm. But it's that's going to end up working out really well for him and should keep should keep him in the lineup. This The the ascension of Drew O'Connor has been impressive this season, <clears throat> mostly because I didn't want him in the lineup to start the year. I think I didn't want him in the lineup to start last year either. Mm-hmm. But here we are. Um, now we can't take him out, and that's great. Granlin is still new and is still... I don't know about getting used to things, but seems to be a good little jump for this bottom six. Mm-hmm. Like I said, he was a bag of maybes, and one of them's turning out properly. And Ricard Raquel is going to be good anywhere he goes. Yeah. So that, you know, non-discussion there. Ricard Raquel anywhere. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. Granlin and DOC are the new guys here that uh, seem to really be putting some juice into this third line because it's a completely different third line than what we've been talking about for most of the season, right? And that's, that's what we said needed to happen at the trade deadline. We said, you basically need three new guys on that third line. And where you get them from is going to come from different places. Granlin was acquired at the trade deadline. O'Connor got promoted in the lineup. And Raquel, I mean, if you want to say he got demoted, yeah. he technically got demoted. But I think it's it's all in the name of going from, we have two absolutely pure dominant top six lines to we took a little bit of strength off of that second line. Nylander has fit in well. That's a different discussion. And we also created a third line that is now, I would say, several steps ahead of what you had on your third line throughout the remainder of the season, like throughout the rest of the season beforehand. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's going to be an extra step there. There's going to be the extra uh, jolt of energy. And like I said, that shot first mentality coming from Drew O'Connor. You should be getting pucks on that Mm -hmm. all day. Um, Yeah. And you have to remember what's great about the third line is – Sullivan said all season that he likes the kind of defense that they can bring. Well, we know Granley kills penalties. We know Drew O'Connor can play a good defensive game. Raquel, we're not too sure about. Jury's out. But you know what? He's, he's better defensively than, than Jake Ensel. That, right? Yeah, that and I, I haven't seen this specific third line spend a lot of time in their defensive zone. So, mm. hey, you know what? All of a sudden you have a third line that can promote offense rather than defense. And that is a step in the proper direction. Mm-hmm. For a long time, the Pittsburgh Penguins' third line was their worst line this season. There were long stretches where the, even the fourth line, whether it be Paling Archibald and Benino, whether it be Paling Heinen and I'm sorry, not Benino, Paling Archibald and Bluger is the name I was going for there. But the fourth line, albeit not scoring, albeit not great, was always better than the third line of whoever it was, Carter, Kapanen, Heinen, whoever was out there, Carter, McGinn, Kapanen, and whoever was out there but what you saw on Saturday and Sunday and again two games only two games but what you saw on Saturday and Sunday was a line that could not only hold their own but a line that can force the issue and I think part of that is because 
they have a really good ability to grind down low. Drew O'Connor, we've seen it. His forechecking is phenomenal. His ability to really create offensive opportunities is better than I expected to see from him. So I like that. And also, Ricard Raquel has some of the best handles on this team. When it comes to stick handling, when it comes to deking out defenders, when it comes to creating opportunities with his vision and his ability and his hockey IQ, Raquel's one of the best on this team at that. Mix those two guys working down low, keeping the puck behind the opponent's net, and Mikhail Granlin's ability to find open passes and find open lanes. It seems like the only thing that really is missing from this line is somebody to actually score the goals, right? Raquel can, but looking at the other guys, it seems like Raquel might end up being the trigger man for this line. Even though Granlund and Drew O'Connor are the guys that so far I've taken more shots. Well, Drew O'Connor, there's a reason for that. Drew O'Connor takes all sorts of shots. Drew O'Connor's going to be a trigger man, but he, he, he might not hit the target, but he's going to be a trigger oh, man. Oh, he's going to hit the target. It's just The target is going to be the goalie's chest, and that'll come with time. Learning those areas will come with time. He's still – he's played, what, like 30-some games this year? And by 30, I mean very low 30s, but this is uh, his career high, 32. Career high in games this year, he'll learn. He'll get that experience under his belt. He'll learn what it takes to mm-hmm. find the corners, do this, do that. I mean, we're ta- we're talking so highly of a guy right now, Drew O'Connor, that hasn't scored a point in six games. Yeah, Let that one settled. It, sh- it it shows that you don't need to get on the score sheet to make an impact. And the problem with this third line for the longest time is they weren't getting on the score sheet and they weren't making an impact. Correct. All you have to do is make a little bit of an impact forecheck your butt off, create a couple offensive opportunities for your line mates. They might not go in, but it certainly looks a lot better and the team is much better for it. So I'm really impressed with what I saw this weekend. I hope it continues. It is a very small sample size. One of them against a Philadelphia Flyers team that fired their general manager. And for good reason, that team is, is not good this year. And I think with the way that they've been playing, the Penguins can confidently say that they have a top nine heading into the final four weeks of the season that is much better than it was two weeks ago. You can confidently say that, listen, whether he backed into it or not, Ron Hextall has a nice top nine on his hands now. Whether he, I don't know, I don't know if that's Ron Hextall's doing or if it's more Mike Sullivan's doing considering all it was was adding one player and Sullivan figured everything else out. Yeah, and that one player we didn't have the utmost confidence in. No, but it's turning out it's turning out well. Now, is it well enough for two more years at $5 million? We'll only know that in two more years, right? Yeah, and it's a movable deal, sort of. One thing the Penguins, or one thing that Ron Hextall, if if he meant this, is uh, truly if, if, if Mikhail Granlund was this much of a hot commodity at the deadline, like he said, we were trying to get Granlund a couple years ago, I got off the phone with another general manager who said multiple teams were trying to get him. If that is true, all right, then he should be easy to move if things go south. Putting that out there, right? Yeah. He doesn't have a clause. If this if this many teams wanted him and were willing to do more or do a little bit less than Pittsburgh did to get him, which Pittsburgh didn't do much, so we could probably get more. I don't know. If things start to go south, Ron, get back on the phone with those GMs that you just said also wanted him. I don't know. Yeah. It's 
I don't trust general managers. No, me neither. But as a as a rule of thumb, I, I I don't trust general managers, no matter the sport. No, me neither. But if things go south, you can't give. My thought process is pretty much as a GM, you shouldn't be giving the media and fans any more reason to be like, all right, fine, call these people up. You said all these people wanted yeah. them before. Now that now you just gave the media and the fans some ammo to you didn't give yourself an out. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's hard. I, to, I, I see. I see what you're yeah. saying, but at the same time, value changes so so quickly in this league, especially considering just the environment of where everybody's at right now with the flat or semi-flat mm-hmm. cap. So you're very right about that as well. But he also said a couple years. So yeah. All of Again, a sudden, I don't. I don't trust general managers. That could be something he pulled out of his. Butt, oh, he could have right? just like thought of that on the spot. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, because. Mikel Granlin came to the Pittsburgh Penguins. There was never a rumor a couple years ago. There was never a rumor in the past couple years about Mikael Granlin becoming a Pittsburgh Penguin. No, and it would have made sense. Right? The most the most Nashville uh, player we were talking about was Nino Niederreiter when he was there. Colton Sissons last year Ugh. was it was a name that was coming up. Like the, uh, again, I don't trust general managers. So um, especially when they start saying stuff about their own acquisitions, because they're just trying to put cherries on top of stuff to make them look better. Even if they're like, just in case, you know, nothing goes right. He could say, well, I mean, other general managers want them. So it's not just my player evaluation. That's flawed. It's everybody's. And it's like, no, you're the guy that actually acquired them. So uh, it's, that's try- nice try. But you know, at the end of the day, it's all general managers are doing is, is trying to put, you know, lipstick on a pig, but sometimes, you know, most people see through it. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, who is the best first-round playoff matchup for the Pittsburgh Penguins? Because they are getting closer and closer to the playoffs. And with that, can't be left flat-footed, Horwat. We have to know what is waiting there for the Penguins once they get there. Because that is the goal right now. Make the playoffs, according to Sidney Crosby. What's going to be waiting there? We'll talk about the potential matchups after the break. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. I'm Nick Berlansky. That's Nick Horwat. We're talking potential first-round playoff matchups. Now, I understand Penguins need to get there first, but it's looking more and more likely that they're going to be able to clinch a playoff spot for the 17th consecutive season, especially considering the way that they have played since that embarrassing loss to the Edmonton Oilers on home ice. Since that happened on February 23rd, the Penguins are 7-1-1. and Currently sit in the wild card one position with a five-point advantage on the Florida Panthers, including a game in hand on them, who is the first team out. According to Money Puck, the Penguins have a 96% chance to make the playoffs and a 33% chance to make the second round. In order to do that, they're going to have to beat one of three teams if they do indeed clinch a playoff spot. The Boston Bruins, Carolina Hurricanes, or New Jersey Devils. Those are the three teams. There's like a 98% chance it's going to be one of those three teams unless something drastic happens here in the tail end in the final four weeks of the NHL regular season. So Horwat, my question to you is, which team presents the best matchup for the Pittsburgh Penguins in the playoffs? In that opening round, the best matchup for the Penguins, I would have to fall onto New Jersey, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Young squad hasn't been there before. Uh, trying to 
make a name for themselves and going up against people talk about it nonstop. The Penguins' veteran presence that they bring to the postseason. You know, they haven't missed in, it. It would it would be seventeen years. Uh, the key guys, the core, Crosby, Malkin, Latang have been there every year. Um, Tristan Jari is a goalie that needs to prove something. It's we're a team coming in hot, pretty much. It's a team that, especially against the Devils, we're a team that has this, 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 and this going for it. All the proper um, positive motions, I guess. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Devils fly in and go, how did we get here this early? And especially if something slips for the Penguins and we're the second wild card and the Devils are the first in the Metro. How did we get here? Vitek Vanacek's our goalie? What happened what, what happened to him being the backup in Washington? Yeah. There's a lot of things that are very interesting about New Jersey that which makes me believe they'd be the easier uh competition. That being said, I mean we also went we still have another game left against them, right? There's a game left for the Penguins against both the Devils and the Bruins. Bruins. Uh, I forgot about the Bruins. Oh, that's who we'd play. I'm dumb. That being said, Bruins don't wouldn't be fun. But I actually think the best matchup for the Pittsburgh Penguins is the Boston Bruins. That wouldn't be fun, but go ahead. It would not be fun. Historically, obviously, the Penguins of the Sidney Crosby era have only played the Bruins once in the postseason. They didn't get a win in that series. Didn't come close, particularly, to getting a win in that series back in 2013. The Bruins are on pace for 63 wins right now, which is an NHL record if they do end up doing that. 62 is the current NHL record set by the Detroit Red Wings way back, um, like 90s, and also Tampa Bay Lightning of 2018-19. Now, I do want to factor in history a little bit there, because the last time that happened, of course, the Tampa Bay Lightning of 2018-19, they go into the playoffs, and they get swept by the Columbus Blue Jackets, giving the Blue Jackets their first playoff series win in franchise history. These Penguins are much better than that Columbus Blue Jackets team. And that Boston Bruins team, in my opinion, is not as good as that Tampa Bay Lightning team was. They might get more wins, but they were not a better team. So history, sure, that's on the Penguins side, and you can take that for what it is, or you could throw that out in the trash. I don't blame you either way. But when I look at this, the Penguins haven't beaten any of these three teams. 0-1-1 against the Bruins, 0-2-2 against the Hurricanes, 0-2-1 against the Devils. And yes, the prevailing theory in the one you mentioned was... The Devils are the team with the least amount of experience. Yeah. They're the youngest team. You believe that the team that for the most of the season has been underneath these other two in the standings. But I think they Penguins played the other two teams tougher this season. I mean, every single one of those six games between the Penguins, Hurricanes, and Bruins ended up with a one goal death one goal loss for the Pittsburgh Penguins, three of them in overtime. The Devils on multiple occasions, both of the losses that ended in regulation just absolutely wiped the floor with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Both games. Now, they also lost one in overtime, but when I look at the New Jersey Devils, I see a fast team that is stout defensively, that has multiple options in net. Yes, not proven in the postseason, but they do have options there, whereas the Penguins have one option. If Tristan Jari does not work, then it's over. Like, Casey DeSmith is not going to backstop them to a series win. I don't believe that. The Devils have multiple options there. They're faster. And Dougie Hamilton seems like he's going to score at least one goal on the power play in every single game against the Pittsburgh Penguins this season. He has two goals on the year. 
both of them on the power play. One of them was the OT winner. The Devils' power play is phenomenal. And it's just a matchup that I don't think bodes well for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Whereas the Bruins, yes, they are a phenomenal team. They are great defensively. They have what should be the Vesna Trophy winner in Linus Allmark and a pretty good backup in, in Jeremy Swayman as well. They have the top-tier talent and the playoff pedigree. But I feel like that matchup for the Penguins is much more conducive to an upset victory. The Penguins can slow the pace down with the Bruins because the Bruins don't pay as high a pace as Carolina or New Jersey. So, in my opinion, I know it's not an easy matchup. There's no easy matchups in the East. No. Right? No. Let's get that let's get that thought out of the way. There's no easy matchups. But in my opinion, the best matchup is the Boston Bruins. It's a wild that's a wild thought. I so Here's the thing about the Bruins. <clears throat> they weren't supposed to be here. They weren't expected to be, especially this good. Yep. They weren't expected. Yeah. They weren't expected to be here. They we we everyone saw David Krejci coming back for a million dollars at the age of 36 and going, that's an old man who hasn't played in the NHL for a season. They saw uh Patrice Bergeron sign that one-year deal for 2-5 at the age of 37 and go, yeah, is this the last run? And we know Marshan's getting older. They didn't know what was going to happen with Pasternak at first. Um, they didn't know what was going to happen with Jake DeBrusque at first. There was a lot of, but what's this team really doing? And then Linus Allmark found the pot of gold because, by God, he wasn't supposed to be this good. He was the Sabres goalie. He was not supposed to be this good. Um, and I don't foresee him having this much of a tear for the rest of his career, by the way. You never know. But yeah, You're right. You never tending. know. But also, goaltending is voodoo, and that's where things can change in the playoffs. Suddenly, I'm looking oh, yeah. at the Boston Bruins and going, it's not a terrible matchup. Linus Allmark's never played in the postseason, I presume. I think it's the best of the three. I don't think the Penguins would be favored or should be favored in any of these matchups. But I think that is the matchup that I like the most for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And I'm looking at the Bruins lineup right now and it's without Felino, it's without Taylor Hall. They're both on LTIR. True, They'll come back in the playoffs. They'll come back game one of the playoffs. We know that's what's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. But I mean this the forward lineup is ridiculous. I mean Marshawn Bergeron Bertuzzi is the top line. Zaka Krejci Posternock is the second line. And then you look at the defense. Grizzlick, McAvoy, Orlov, Carlo, Forbort, Clifton, and that's without Lindholm. So like they are stacked and built to the gills. I'm not saying that I don't see that. I'm aware of that. But when I think of the style of play of the Boston Bruins, it matches the style of the play the Penguins want to play. So it is going to be fire versus fire. It's going to be iron versus iron. Whereas if you go against the Devils, you're playing a team that plays a much faster game. And I don't know if the Pittsburgh Penguins, despite getting faster at the deadline, we just talked about the third line. It is a much faster team in the Pittsburgh Penguins. That's still not the style that they want to play if they're going to win. They still want to slow things down. Play it on the yellow boards, as Bob Airy continues to say. They're going to want to beat you by keeping it out of the middle of the ice, and they're going to want to beat you by slowing the pace down and letting their stars be the ones that ploddingly take over the game. The Devils aren't going to play that crap. Neither are the Hurricanes. It's unfortunate about the Andre Svechnikov thing. We haven't really talked about the Hurricanes much, but it just feels like there's something about the Canes that the Penguins cannot overcome. Yeah. And at the end of the day... The Pittsburgh Penguins' biggest issue defensively is protecting the net front. And I think in a seven-game series, Jordan Stahl and that Canes team would eat them up in that area. 
The Bruins aren't easy to beat in that area either, but the Bruins don't play in that area nearly as much as these other two teams do. Yeah, I think I think we could come around. I think I could come around to the Bruins idea. Um, <laughs> I talked you into it. And again, like we said, no good matchups here. No, and what what really puts me in in the thought process of coming around to the Bruins one is that goaltending. I it, I don't I truly don't know what's up with Linus Allmark. This could just be one of those one-off years, right? Where first season with a new team with a hell of a defense in front of him. Hey, he's going to win the Vezina this year. Congratulations. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Almost a death sentence for goalies, really. But yeah, certain ones. Bobrovsky definitely, although he won it like three times. Yeah. Um, it's, you never know. And who knows if when his downfall is just because he's also going to be 30. He's got a new contract. I don't know. That's a confusing team that if they hit the playoffs and also that old president's trophy curse. Love that. Yeah. Love that. Pack that on. Add that to the history part. Yeah, add that to the history. This could be an it would be an interesting battle. I don't I definitely don't foresee here's the here's the thing. I don't foresee the Bruins winning the Stanley Cup. I'll leave it at that for sure. Definitely don't see that happening. At some point this team will run out of gas. Not saying mm-hmm. when that will be, but I'm saying there's gonna be a team that beats them. Mm-hmm. There Boston's a very arrogant franchise. We see it whenever Brad Marchand is playing. We see the arrogance that that is. We see it with Brad Marchand all the time. We just see the arrogance he carries, right? Yeah. More than just on the ice. It's also on Twitter. It's just okay. Now you're just being a little big headed. That's okay. It's good to have. It's it's big headed in compared in comparison to the rest of the league that just shuts up. Right? Well, yeah. The rest of the league sits on their hands and just looks at at reporters and says yeah. the same five phrases over and over again. Yes. So it's it's Brad nice. Marchand. Marches to the beat of his own drum, and that's why he gets headlines. Which is perfectly okay. Like I said, it's yeah. it's it just looks a little arrogant compared to the rest of the team and the rest of the league. Yeah. Just the way it is. No big deal. But that being said, we see how he can carry himself, and we've also seen him go overboard. Mm-hmm. Man, let's see all of those. Uh, let's see all of the Jari chirps and Marshan's face in the postseason. That could get fun. I'm very interested to see. No matter what, I think mm-hmm. the Penguins have a better chance than a lot of people are giving them regardless of who the mm-hmm. team is. Jersey, I think we have a great chance. Boston, I'm getting grown into. And the Hurricanes, we've kept up with. We've kept up with. We just had to get yeah. over the hump. Yeah, I don't know, but the Hurricanes are getting stronger. Like, that that's a better Hurricanes team now than it was when they beat the Penguins four times Same with earlier the Bruins, in the season. Really, but yes. It's similar with the Bruins as well, but that's the last point I want to make, and then we're going to say goodbye because we're running a little long here. Tristan Jari and Brad Marchand's rivalry always gets the best out of Tristan Jari. Mm-hmm. Jari plays his best when he's, he's got that edge to him. Now, hopefully he doesn't play the puck. When oh, my God. <laughs> but he always stands up and steps up to the challenge against the Boston Bruins. That's my last point. Like, I, I honestly, if I had to rank these teams in, in teams I think the Penguins match up with best, it's Boston, then New Jersey, then Carolina. I just – something about this Carolina team, the the – combination of speed and skill that they bring to the table and the coaching that they get from Rod Brindamore and the way that they're able to just have Jordan Stahl play like 2009 Jordan Stahl specifically against the Pittsburgh Penguins uh that worries me slightly in a matchup in the playoffs but 
There's also a history of their scoring evaporating in the playoffs. But I got, I digress on that point. We could talk about this for ages, and we'll have plenty of time to talk about it. There's four weeks left in the NHL regular season. The Penguins still have to make the playoffs before we have to worry about this. But it is trending in that direction as the Pens, like we mentioned at the top of this segment, 7-1-1 one, and one in their last nine. Two huge matchups with the Rangers coming up this weekend back-to-back at MSG. But before that, tonight, PPG Paints Arena, Penguins look to go 4-0-1 on this five-game homestand. Would be huge if they did. We'll see if they can. That's it for this one. We'll see you guys next time.